everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where breakfast at the Wallach household today includes hot cocoa, marshmallows, and chocolate chip cookies. Yes, a breakfast of champions here at the Wallachs. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, folks. Thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, blogger, writer, general manager here at the Nahum Siegel Network. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch. Not coming to you this morning from the home of the Nahum Siegel Network on the beautiful Lower East Side. Instead, I am coming to you from my mobile studio here in the very snowy Five Towns, which is uh, basically what all of New York looks like right now. Those of us who were enjoying 62 or 64-degree weather here in New York are shocked, only because it really happened, but we are shocked with what we see outside our windows. Yes, snow is falling in uh, rapid speed, rapid, rapid speed out here on Long Island. So I am, I am, I'm snowed in. I am snowed in, as are many people today, but I am joined by Nahum, who is in our studio. Good morning, Nahum. Well, good morning, and thank you for having me as a guest on That's Life, what sounds like a snowbound edition of That's Life. Exactly. I am in a much more casual position than I usually am when I'm on the air, but I appreciate the fact that you made it into work today, your commute being significantly less than well, mine. Well, just a moment. Let's speak to somebody who had a very long commute who seems to have made it in here. I'd like to know his point of view about you being, quote-unquote, snowbound on this Thursday morning. Yoni, good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, your commute was, uh, I would say, over an hour today, am I right? Uh, it was a little bit over an hour, so I made sure to wake up early so I could right. get in. Exactly. And so how do you view the, the, the how do you view the whole scene when you hear a staff member especially one who normally is viewed as a dedicated staff member uh getting on her own show and and coming up with some frivolous excuse about not being here how do you yeah, view it's interesting because last night I, I made sure to go to bed early so i could prepare myself to wake up early <laughs> so i could get in um i assumed that was the expectation for everyone but i'm mistaken apparently oh, oh Miriam, did we get you bad or what <laughs> i mean yoni do you really want to see me on monday now or what <laughs> Well, that's Yoni. By the way, the opinion of uh, of uh, Yoni Pollock is only that of Yoni Pollock, and of course, of course. I have no opinion on the matter no. whatsoever. No, anyway, none whatsoever. I'm not at all concerned that you influenced his opinion one way or the other. <laughs> we are obviously joking around, but having yeah. fun as we always do, and it is a snowbound edition. Uh, I, I'll tell you one thing I'm jealous about. Uh, not that we're snowbound in the studio. We could, in theory, go out and get stuff, but if there was hot chocolate and pancakes or whatever else you described, uh, in your home this morning, that that would be something I would appreciate a delivery of. That would be, wouldn't that be great, Yoni? That I would be would great. So. Yeah. Well, after that double teaming, there's little chance of that. <laughs> Could be a Thursday live brunch. That was the thing that made me most uh, jealous of your kids yeah. is that they were enjoying that type of snowbound breakfast. Um, a week ago, we were enjoying a pop-up lunch courtesy of Milt, and look at this. A week later, we're stuck here with no food, Yoni. Imagine, <laughs> imagine the irony. About the irony, at the height of the kosher barbecue heap, and now this one week later, nothing. I have some tuna here. Oh, do you have tuna? I have okay. tuna. So we can we we have a little tuna campfire here and <laughs> get that going. <laughs> anyway, yeah, don't make any fire jokes with CK listening in. He doesn't think those things are funny. By the way, am I missing something that people on Facebook last night were saying? There's something about French toast and snowstorms. I, is that, I didn't see anything. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. That traditionally, you know, because you know how it is. When, when a snowstorm is about to hit, what do people do? And it, it was so funny. I walked into my house last night after this wedding at about 10.30, and I smell 
baked goods. And I say to myself, oh boy, they already started the snow day routine of baking something. And sure enough, Yonita had baked up a storm. Of course. And but, but I didn't know, maybe that's what people mean, that in addition to baking, people make French toast and pancakes and things like that that they normally wouldn't make when they're trying to run out of the house during break, you know, before breakfast. All I know is that I was at Gourmet Glot last night and it looked like Erev Pesach in there. And I actually <laughs> posted that because it was, it was, um, Organized or calm pandemonium. The staff was calm. The shoppers, not so much. Unbelievable. Also, to Elu, we've never seen snow before, and this is our first storm ever. So a little bit, everybody needs to take a deep breath. I do understand the Erev Erev Shabbos concerns. Everyone wants to get in what they need before they have to uh, cook for Shabbos. But still, I'm pretty pretty convinced that what we all already had stocked in our homes, we could have lasted for five days. Well, I want to make one point, and not that I'm ever sympathetic to the other side. I agree with you, but there is something about the first storm of the season, and especially when it's late, because it's been many months since mm-hmm. we've had that experience. And it's not like I'm justifying the panic, but I sort of understand it more when it's been so long since we've gone through this experience. That, that I hear, and of course, I am making fun of those people who were in panic at Gourmet Glot last night. I was one of the people there you go. at Gourmet Glot, but I certainly was not in panic mode. It was more a sense of, I need milk anyway, so right. I might as well go. Right. Um, but there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's the normal, I'm going to gas up my cars in case I need to flee response. So I made sure that my cars were gassed last night. I don't know why that's my knee-jerk reaction before right. a storm. Well, I have that since uh, Sandy. I've had that for years, even before Sandy. No, I, I understand that. Sandy yeah. was a scary gas shortage reminiscent of the 70s. I'm not, I'm not knocking that. Since Sandy, I've always made sure to try to keep my gas tank at a half a tank or more. And one of my kids who's now driving has this habit of it must always be on full. And I said, Do you, were you also traumatized by Hurricane Sandy? Like, I don't remember you being that traumatized by the gas situation at that point. Oh, no, I'm terribly afraid of running out of gas. But that's because when I was a kid, oh. I was part of, it's always back to the childhood, right? Yep. When I was a kid, I was in a carpool going to a birthday party, and the person, the the the, uh, it was not our car, it was not my father driving, but the uh, the driver ran out of gas on a on the Long Beach Bridge. Oh, gosh. So, uh, yes, since then, gas keeping a full gas tank is my friend. Well, I, I, I have part of that as well, if you don't mind me sharing. No, not at all. Please it, do. It is, after all, your show. This is our sharing. When I was nine years old, our family ran out of gas coming back from Rochester to New York. And it is an experience I will never forget. And right. my older brother's having to go with my father to find gas and oh. bring it back and the whole thing. I mean, we're talking about the early 1970s. And so, sure, I'm positive that experience also has had an effect on me growing up. Yeah, for sure. This is the, the <laughs> what what happens to us during our childhood certainly runs deep. Oh, those Rochester trips are nuts, I'm telling you. you go, oh, they are crazy people in Rochester. By the way, I also just want to mention, since we consistently do this on that slide, today's national holidays. Today's national holidays include National Bagel Day. Ooh, I can use one of those. Pizza Day. Use one of those as well. Hey, why not National Pizza Bagel Day if you're, you know, combining two holidays in one? Yeah. It's Read in the Bathtub Day, <laughs> which, I, did you ever do that as a kid? Not that I recall. I remember, I remember playing with boats in the bathtub. I don't remember reading in the bathtub. I remember reading in the bathtub Friday nights when the only light left on was the bathroom. Oh, so you'd actually go into the bathtub? Sure. That I don't remember. I would, I would lie down on the bedroom floor. 
and take the light from the bathroom. But No, uh, I totally. Bathtub. Also, I used to study in the bathtub sometimes at Stern because it was the quietest place. Hmm. And some people call you strange. I have no, no idea why. why would they do that? <laughs> it's also National Toothache Day, something I am still celebrating and have been for the last seven weeks. Wow. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. But wait I a second. I am coming but, to you from snowy, snowy five towns. Nahum Siegel is in the studio joining me on the air today. But wait a second. I, I have one addendum to, the, to that segment of the show you just did. Wait a minute. We finished the segment and you still want to continue it? I'm shocked. Yes. Go, please. You mentioned National Pizza Day and National Bagel Day, and then Yoni signaled to me with great euphoria that we have pizza bagels in the studio. Thank you, Jamie. Woo! Yeah, I think they're Jamie's. But... Yeah, of course they're Jamie's. Give me a break. Jamie better be listening right now wherever she is. Right. Wherever she is, we better replace the pizza bagels before she gets back is what's more likely. <laughs> All right. Yoni and I volunteer. We'll we'll take care of the pizza bagels. You guys are the best. And then we should thank Jay Bookspam for donating a toaster oven to the Knockham Seal Network. Oh, I didn't even realize that was Jay's donation. Wow. Yes. Thank you, Jay. Uh, all right. Um, go ahead, Miriam. It's your agenda. I apologize. No, 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 not at all. I know you have a litany of things that we need to get through today. Well, I, I, I have a question that I want to ask you because I, I'm always, cur- you know, my insatiable uh. curiosity, and I like asking you questions. I always like your perspective on things. But I'm saying to myself, I don't know if it's a proper question to ask you publicly because it might offend somebody out there. And you'll know what I mean once I ask it because I think I am going that direction of actually asking it. But I, I've seen a practice at a wedding. I should say I should say it differently. I've seen a certain practice at Jewish weddings over the last few months, and I'm curious to get your take on it, hmm. on what you think of it. And All right, I, go. And this is really not to criticize or to influence someone to change what they think is a good idea. I just, it just, it, I don't know. It seems strange to me, and maybe not the best thing. And I want to know if I'm crazy or not. And you, of course, can tell me if I'm crazy or not. Right. If anyone can determine somebody else's craziness level, it's me. I'm at weddings in the Jewish community. And there are times under the chuppah, okay, as as funny as this might sound, there are times under the chuppah when the kala is going through the ceremony holding the hand of her mother. And I'm saying to myself, I don't know. First of all, it looks strange to me, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. And secondly, I don't know what kind of message it sends, frankly, when she's about to embark on this lifelong adventure with the person next to her. So I just need you to tell me if I'm nuts or not, that's all. Forget that I don't think you're nuts. If I was the cousin, I'd freak out. Right, <laughs> exactly. It's just, it was, it was, it was just a strange practice, and I, and I've seen it now more than once. And I believe me, I get not that I am one, but I get the connection between a mother and daughter. I mean, it's not like I'm minimizing that, and, and especially in a moment like that. But I don't know. And 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 if you'd say to me, you know, at some point, you know, they held each other's hand for a few seconds for reassurance. That's one thing, you know. But to go through the entire ceremony, so I just wanted to sort of toss it out to you because you you often will give me a logical take on the absurd. So I thought I thought in this case you might be able to do that. Yeah, well, I sort of would, would suggest then that that's a mom who's in every wedding shot that she shouldn't be. <laughs> those, are, those are the moms who are three people under the chuppah, not two people under the chuppah. Yeah. Yeah, that's not going to be the situation, please God, with my kids. I think that that's... I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in that, but also a tremendously bad message to send, or or a bit of a warning to the chassan that this is what the rest of your life looks like. Well, that's why that's why I wanted to be careful about bringing it up because I really don't want to make that evaluation or judgment because we know that you know plenty, I'm sure, plenty of these unions will go on without any problem, uh, you know, even in a situation like that. But I just thought, as a visual, I thought it was a, I don't know, just a. Little. No, it's certainly it's certainly not something. 
it's not something we would recommend. Right. Okay. But also, as a heads up to the chassan, if you're just figuring out now that there's a problem with your mother-in-law because she's holding your future wife's hand the entire See, time. I don't, but I don't want to say that. You see. Uh, okay, that's why I'm saying it. You don't want to say it? That's fine. I'm, 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 here, to, I'm here to say that. All right. I'm here to say that. I have another agenda item I'd like to bring up. Please. Um, I was going to mention to Nissen this morning, to Nissen Black. Which was a wonderful interview. Thank you. I was going to mention to him that we have a Wheel of Fortune winner among the Nahum Single Network staff, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. After he said that when guys, he had told me off the air, when guys come to his house, they start speaking to him about, you know, the raps he did with uh, with Fiddy said, to the, with Fiddy, he says to me. And, and he's so uncomfortable with that. He doesn't like it. He thinks they're doing it just to make him more So once he told me that, but once he started indicating to me that popular culture was not something that made him popular, I, I resisted, did not tell him that we have a Wheel of Fortune star in our midst. Okay, well, first of all, I, I'm sorry to correct you on the air, but we certainly do not know if we have a Wheel of Fortune winner. Yes, we do. Everybody there is a winner. They come away with at least a thousand bucks. This isn't middle school. Everyone's not a winner. <laughs> Okay, that was always a big joke. Everyone's a winner. So right. Yoni Pollock, uh, our what, what's your official title of this place? <laughs> what's your official title here? What did I say on air, or what did I? Uh... Oh, what did you say on air? You got to say something on the air. What did you say to Pat Sajak? He asked me what I do for a living, right. basically. And what did you say? Uh, you'll have to see tomorrow. But <gasps> but does are the are the <laughs> are the words network at all in your answer? I think the word. so. You said network. I think I said either like a digital network, digital radio network, something along those lines. Very good. Uh, and then I'm it sure it would be helpful if you could speak clearly about our network. That would be very helpful in and terms I'm, of you and know, getting sure, the message out. And then I'm sure afterwards, Pat pulled you aside and said, "Hey, tell me more about your work. It sounds fascinating." Business card. Oh, the whole, really, the whole thing. Anyway, so Yoni's going to be on Wheel of Fortune in a subsequent episode. Once he's on. Uh, at some point next week, we'll have a chance to talk more about it and see if, he, in fact, he was a winner or a loser or what. But I couldn't mention it to, to Nissim. I just couldn't do it. I I hear that. Can we just talk for a second about the Nissim interview before we discuss Pollock? Because Pollock and Wheel of Fortune have hijacked this network <laughs> and actually this program three weeks in a row. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I mean, how much programming does Yoni Pollock and Wheel of Fortune really need on that life? Yeah, Yoni. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, we better find out because lunch is on you next week. Let's just make that clear. Ooh, Thursday live lunch next week. Oh, I'm not here for Thursday live lunch next week. Two weeks. Two weeks from now. Big, big Thursday live lunch from Yoni Pollock. Let Wait me know a minute. Wh- Where are you next week? Well, I have a, a family thing I got to take care of next week on Thursday, but... But Yoni's Yoni's going to uh, two weeks from now is going to t- let us know where he's ordering from, and I am going to I'm going to go for the king size the king side of the menu. You know, the one with the big portions and the one with many options. Do they make tuna cans that are so big? Oh, oh. stop tuna cans! Costco tuna cans. So basically, Jamie, Yoni, Avrami, and I are having lunch next Thursday without you and on Pollock's tab. I'm oh, sorry. you're doing it without me? That's not right, fair. He did so well. He's he's sponsoring two weeks in a row. Oh, that's our that's a different story. Exactly. But let's talk about Nissim for a second. Yes. What an incredible interview. It is Chaval that he got in later than we expected him to, obviously clearly due to the weather. Uh, we appreciate tremendously the effort that it took for him to get in and the fact that he made it at all. That's for sure. But I saw the app comments, and everyone just wanted you to go past 9 o'clock. Yeah, and I, and I hear that. But it, 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 would, it would take a long explanation to explain to the average non-radio person um, why it would not have worked well today. I hear 
you. We I hear you, but I'm just saying not to not to ask you to explain that, but just to say that it was that good. Oh yeah, I that no one. Oh yeah. If you said to me at eight twenty-five, okay, take this interview till nine thirty, then it would have been a much different interview. I understand that. I, I hear that. So I just uh, I didn't feel comfortable at the last minute making a decision like that, aside from our own network decisions that have to be made. Uh, but yeah, he's fascinating. New album coming out within a month. He said he'll come back, and I think with with you know with music and other questions, I think it'll be another interesting encounter. A lot of people were anxious to hear me and see me on Facebook Live speak with him, and he's just he's uh, he's just unbelievable. I mean, he's just he really he really is. One thing that I found um, even more. Um, making him even more amazing than I than I already thought that he was, is that when you were discussing with him people that uh, people from his childhood, friends of his that he lost, yeah, um, you know, both who died, who were uh, who fell to drugs, different vices, etc., and who did not come out obviously the way he did, and there were people who were able to to be above the influence and make lives for themselves, and he is clearly one of them, and the friend that he. She, the, the anecdote that he shared on the air regarding the friend who had got straight A's and whose parents were both drug addicts, et cetera, et cetera. They're clearly, he is an outlier. He and his friends are outliers in situations like this. But you and I, tongue-in-cheek, constantly make jokes about things that are first-world problems. Right. Third-world problems, first-world problems. And, you know, Long Island Railroad doesn't work first-world problems. Yes, because in the scheme of things in life, the fact that I am working remotely today, the fact that it took two and a half hours to get home from work on Monday because the trains were canceled, the fact this, the fact that, whatever, is is small in comparison to real challenges that people are facing on a day-to-day basis, real-life challenges. And Nissim has faced real-life challenges. So when he is is going through these things and he's talking about them so modestly, how he came out on the other side of them, how... He has faced death, how he has faced horror, and decided this is not the life he wanted for himself. That is, that is, that is a first-world problem. Oh, no question about it. You know, what got me, he described his uh, mother's overdose, which, uh, of course, caused her death, the overdose that caused her death, uh, when he was 19 years old. What got me, was, which I thought would be the most uh, poignant part of the conversation, was what got me most was not that was not him recalling that. What got me is when he said he knew, uh, as he's growing up, that at some point he is going to find his mother not breathing anymore from a drug overdose, and that he had this in his mind all those years, and you know just living with that. It's one thing you know. Obviously, we talked about the trauma of living with the uh, uh, with the fact that your mother has now passed on, and and for the reasons that she did. But living with that all those years, knowing that this is where it's going to end up, I mean, it's a mentality that, thank God, we can't relate to, but it's just unbelievable. That was scary. That part, to me, was really frightening. It is an absolute horror to think about what he has faced. It is... It is that of a, a TV drama. Yeah. It is something that people like you and me and many of our listeners only hear about. People, things that we see about in fictionalized settings, that we read about in fictionalized settings, or that we read about in the newspaper that happens in some inner city situation that we, we read about and connect with remotely, but we certainly don't connect on a first-person level. And yet you have somebody sitting in your studio who made Aliyah, who converted to, to Judaism, who talks about his relationship with Judaism, with Yiddishkeit, as if it is a love affair with God. And that's how he refers to it. When he said that, I was, I was blown away because, 
again, so much of what we take that we live on a day-to-day basis in terms of our relationship with religion is because this is this is what we were born into. Yep. But he came into it, uh, you know, Nasev and Nishma, he came into it with this warmth, with this, I am in love with this. And it is inspiring to listen to a person like that. You know where he lives, by the way? I don't. <laughs> Rachavia. Oh, really? <laughs> he is living in Rachavia. It's amazing. I mean, the whole thing is amazing. It is. It's, it's just incredible. And uh, the friend that was with him, Yosef, lives in Shari Chesed. And uh, his kids go to Mea Sharm to school uh, in the old city, obviously. Uh, not in the old city, Mea Sharm. And uh, it's just the whole thing is just, the whole thing is incredible. It thing. really is. It's incredible. And it is the epitome of a success story. Yeah. In, in so many different ways. It is the epitome of a success story. When you, you talk, I mean, we'll pull the, pull the best NCSY advisor. And get them on the air. You you tell them a story like this, they're they're blown away. Yeah. You tell somebody at Asia story like this, they're blown away. People who are in Kirov, people who have been doing Kirov their entire lives, and and yet you have a person who so late in life. I mean, when he talks about when he converted, he and his wife and his sister-in-law and his brother-in-law, this double wedding. It's a remarkable, remarkable story. And so now, not only is he living a Torah life, and not only is he observing Yiddishkeit in a level that certainly is beyond anything that I am at, and I've been doing this my entire life and know nothing else, know nothing else, but he's giving it back. He is using his talent. He is using his strength and using his gift that he, that he got from God and saying, I'm giving back this way. Unbelievable. Just incredible. It really is. It's it's such a it's such a life lesson for all of us. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We have a few moments left. I, Miriam L. Wallach, sitting here in snowy, snowy uh, Woodmere at my mobile studio as I am on the phone now with Nachum Siegel, who is in our studios, our network studios on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, all snowbound, all looking out. Uh, there's no traffic here. <laughs> in, in the uh, in the five towns, I can tell you that everyone is homebound. Is there anything going on on Grand Street? Yes, there are cars. It is it's Grand Street. Yes, there are cars on Grand hey, Street. Hey, hey, it, hey! Don't it, be like that. Grand yes. Street's completely plowed because if you're living on this island, you know that the plow is going to be out ahead of the storm. And if you're living in the town of Hempstead, you know you'll see a plow in about six months. <laughs> and and I can't wait to hit the roads. I love driving like this because there's nobody out there. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, by the way, shout out to uh, those nutcases like myself who ended up at the gym this morning before it got bad. The gym is now closed, as it should be. So I can vote to them. Or or really, you know, see some therapy. Yes, exactly. There's um, well, The weather is building up out here. It is, as, as somebody we were on a conference call with earlier this morning from Jerusalem said, I, it's so lovely at this point when you're just looking at it until you have to deal with it. No question about it. I always say that, and you're so right. By the way, an email just came in. Watch what you say about Rochester. I have many jewels there. Well, I want to tell you my favorite Rochester story, and I saw people from Rochester over the weekend, Mm -hmm. and I told them my favorite Rochester story, how I got there with my kids uh, to the ballpark and said to them, you're not going to see a yarmulke for miles. We get up to the ticket window, and of course, their yarmulke's online. So (laughs) that was my my favorite Rochester story. Well, you know what my favorite Rochester story is? Yeah. When we walked in, when you and I had a meeting in Rochester, we drove to Rochester. Was it July? August, I think. August, July or August, whatever. Yeah, right before the end, right before the end of camp. Yeah. Yeah, and we walked right second month. Yeah. You're correct, and we walk into this uh, the the only kosher eatery. Is it really the only kosher? Eatery? They, they, they told me this past weekend it's the only kosher eatery. <laughs> yeah. 
so the only kosher eatery, and we go in there, and automatically you turn every head in the restaurant, not because of your size, but because they can't believe that Nachum Siegel just walked into a restaurant eatery in Rochester, New York. The funniest part of that whole visit was when the, when the guy gave you his CD. Yes, that <laughs> was a hoot. That was a hoot. As we were leaving and we're in the parking lot and somebody says, oh, you're Nachum Siegel. I have my CD in the car. Of course you do. <laughs> that was hilarious. Of course you do. Oh. Well, we have a... We have a few moments left. I, know, I don't I, want to run out of time. I know, the live lunch starts at the top of the hour. I know we have to wrap up, but Rebitson, uh, Rebitson Oppenheim has just checked in on our app from Charlotte. Oh! And she says we can come and do the show in sunny Charlotte where it's 50 degrees, and that's something we should consider. Amazing Rebitson, people. we would come, but we can't get out of New York. <laughs> there you go. That's a bit of the problem right now. By the way, shout out to Ohad Moskowitz, Woo! who is loving the fact that he got out before the storm and has made it back safely to Israel. Baruch Hashem saw Ohad last night. He was spectacular. Of course he was. Amazing. Of course he was. Uh, Nahum, I thank you very much. I imagine that we'll be speaking uh, pretty soon during the live lunch. Yeah. I'm t- uh, in fact, it's funny. I'm trying to think of a way to just go right into the live lunch and continue this conversation. So why be- don't we? Why don't you just play my closing song, and then we can uh, just transition. All right. If I had to ask you. Uh-oh. And we ha- don't worry, because we're, if we're transitioning to the live lunch, we have the extra minute. If I had to ask you your favorite moment musically, of the Kosher Halftime Show 2017, what would it be? There's only one answer. There's only one answer. When all of a sudden, Arya Kunstler starts playing Hafakta. There you go. Me up when I was down. You want to say your goodbyes, Miriam? That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Roll me up to a brand new sound. Oh, yes, you did. You let the sun shine on my mind.